Sometimes I don't like to eat homemade stuff from other people. Oh, are those you homemade? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't get any homemade. I don't know what people are putting in their stuff. I don't know if they wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. I don't know if they're catwalks on a countertop. That's what I think. That's how I stop myself from eating all the food. Well, most germs would die after they Doesn't. were in an oven for well, 400 degrees uh, for a prolonged amount of time. You're ruining this for me. That's why um, salmonella is lot not going to happen when so you cook your eggs. So salmonella can suck it because I ate some raw cookie dough too. Boom. Shakalaka. The night that I found out I was pregnant with Quinn, I ate about 47 pounds of raw cookie dough like and a what? wheel of brie. <laughs> And drink like, and I drink was like, ner- like, I'm so nervous. Oh, oh my god, what have we done? What have we done? What have we done? Give me some wine. Oh shit, can't have wine. Can't have okay. wine. Cookies instead. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the brie and the raw cookie dough. I was nesting. Okay. <laughs> All right, you ready? You good? Welcome to Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. We are in a very echoey chamber. I am Greg Tito, and this is Shelley Mazza Noble. 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 Oh, that's Ryan's son's name. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Every I just time realized you realized that as I was repeating his name. You guys are both very noble. We are here to talk uh, to a very special guest. Very. Uh, his name is Ed Greenwood, and he has created a wonderful world called. You might uh, have heard of it. Nah, I hold on. I forgot. Uh, uh, Forgotten Arnia? Realms. Oh, yeah. Oh, that all makes sense. That dad joke that went nowhere. When he was like six. It's, it's amazing to have like daydreams that got turned into like these fantasy worlds. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, my kid's five. Think about that. I, in one later, year. Yeah, she's going to be doing maps. She and probably actually already own. is doing that. Uh, she probably already is. It's true. She's already an excellent artist. Uh, so she is, indeed. Uh, uh, I'll show you guys uh, pictures of that one time on the Twitters. Um, but uh, the before we get to talking to Ed about his uh, latest novel called Death Masks, which Death is Masks. Uh, 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 set in Waterdeep, and one of the uh, the cl- the closed secret lords of Waterdeep are being killed off. And it's we kind of a out. mystery. It's kind of a mystery. We'll have to find out more about that. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to get to a segment called Lore You Should Know, uh, where I talk to two amazing members of the uh, D&D story team uh, about little bits of lore. Um, in the Forgotten Realms that you may not know about. Is there a quiz at the end? There will be no quiz, okay. uh, but it's just a way. Actually, the most, <laughs> the biggest reasons I'm uh, doing this is so that you get like the official pronunciations about things. Okay, uh, that's awesome. Some proper names in Forgotten Realms. Oh, I might submit a list of things that yeah. you could just pronounce. Matt Cernet just like rattled off all these names. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know that was pronounced that way. I didn't He's know it was pronounced that way. quite fascinating to talk to. He is, he is. So uh, we're going to do uh, uh, that segment in just uh, a few minutes, but a couple of quick announcements. Storm Thing King's Thunder is coming out out uh, uh, in August um, uh, in your game stores and then September 6th in a wide release all over the world. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. Uh, we introduced it at D&D Live from Meltdown, which you can watch awesome. that in total show uh, um, online on our YouTube channel. But we also have a new weekly show coming out on Nerdist.com called Force Gray Giant Hunters. Uh, and it's a bit of a preview uh, for the Storm King's Thunder Storyline, uh, but it's got amazing comedians and actors. Uh, they just filmed it a few weeks ago, and we're releasing them in uh, uh, weekly episodes uh, starting in July. 
So that should be fun. Go yeah. check that out. Um, if it's not already out now, if this is not already oh, July. Oh, future. Dun, dun, dun. What else is going on uh, uh, as far as D&D goes? I think that's it. Acquisitions Incorporated, the series, is also oh, happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, that also uh, has Chris Perkins uh, DMing for the Penny Arcade crew, and that is also a bit of a preview for Storm King's Thunder, so check that out as well. A lot of Storm King Thunder previews. I know, right? It's like a nice way to get like the story before the story. Yeah. Yeah, of course, it's all going to be different, you know, uh, uh, not entirely 100% canon as far as what each individual uh, character happens, but uh, uh, overall, it's going to be a nice little way to get uh, excited about Storm King's Thunder. I'm excited about it. I think so. Tyrants of the Underdark is also a wonderful uh, board game uh, uh, created by some of the people here at uh, Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Peter Lee and Rodney Thompson and Andrew Veen. Um, and it is uh, out in stores now, if not very soon. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, it is a fantastic deck building uh, strategy territory control game. Very cool. Um, a little bit of a diversion from other. Yeah, games. yeah, exactly. It's like a, a, well, it's kind of a little bit themed for Underdark, but there's some yep. other uh, uh, D&D story themes in there, like uh, dragons and elemental wise. evil. And mechanics-wise, it's different. definitely a board it's a little game. Different. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A more competitive uh, uh, than cooperative, um, but it got, it's got a lot of the great art and stuff from, from Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, so go check that out. Cool. All right, so uh, we're going to go on to a different segment. We're going to talk uh, Lori Chanel. This is Lore You Should Know, and I am joined by uh, two wonderful gentlemen, uh, Matt Cernet. Hello. Howdy. Uh, Matt is here, and he's got a very large beard, uh, which I will describe in detail <laughs> later on. It's very long. <laughs> very Gandalf-like. Uh, it is great. And I'm also joined by Adam Lee. Hello. He does not have a beard, but has very long hair. Yes. Uh, and together, you two of you make a great wizard. Yes, we could. We work together as Voltron wizard. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, real quick, uh, what do you guys uh, do on the D&D team? Matt, what, what, what's, what's your role? Uh, so, I'm a designer, technically, but I'm sort of the lore master of the group. I've spent a lot of time reading a lot of D&D books, and so I have a lot of it in my head, and then I have access to all our PDF archives and stuff like that. We'll just say that you basically are the archives that are all in your, in your brain. Yeah. I, I often know when words are not in the book because the or not found by the computer because the uh, the computer doesn't know it's there and I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> like check with Matt first and then then we'll do the search yeah, on the computer. Yeah, check exactly. with that dumb computer. Nice. <laughs> uh, and Adam, what's your, what's your role on the team? Uh, I am part of the story team. So Perkins and I uh, create the stories that uh, we all enjoy, and uh, I'm also. Like Matt, technically a game designer, which means I'm sort of a jack of all trades. I kind of help out with different things that are going on on the team, help out with uh, the licensing team, help out with the marketing team. So I'm jumping all over the place. Nice. Um, and uh, here in this segment, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about a piece of lore of the Forgotten Realms uh, that you may not know too much about. Uh, and we're going to be prepping up for uh, Storm King's Thunder, which you just found about, found out about at D&D Live from yes. Meltdown. Uh, a lot of you guys have been working on that for a year now, yeah. uh, if not more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to impart that knowledge uh, to our fans. And the number one thing that people may want to know about is uh, the giant gods and the ordning. Uh, Chris Perkins and Mike Merles talked about this briefly uh, during our event, uh, but let's go into a little bit more detail. Who are the giant gods, Matt, uh, that have become angered? Well, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, gosh, it goes back to, um, I guess, mostly monster mythology uh, set in second edition. 
and it, it uh, invented sort of a pantheon of deities, which um, some of which were included in earlier books, like um, oh, uh, lore and legends or something like that. Um, and uh, it starts out with Anim at the top. He's sort of this um, Zeus-like figure. He's uh, the sort of head father god and. Um, monster mythology is very sort of careful to say that in various worlds of D&D, it doesn't necessarily take this form. Uh, there's different stories in different worlds, even different parts of the worlds that they have. And so, but Anum has various other um, sort of goddesses that he fathers children with, and that's where we get Thrym and Surtur and um, Gorlantor and Scorius Stones Bones and that kind of thing. Okay, uh, so Anum, as the uh, as the the father of the gods, uh, had set up uh, these this caste system. Uh, talk a little bit about about that about the ordning. Yeah, so the ordning is the way by which giants uh, sort of organize themselves in a hierarchy in uh, among type and then within type, and so uh, it's both you know. Storm giants on top, cloud giants, and then I think it's fire, frost, uh, stone, and hill, and uh, and then within their societies, they every giant theoretically knows his or her place in the tribe of uh, what, however many there are in that group. Where um, and it's based upon what giant type is. So with hill giants, for instance, it's uh, you know, how, how fat they are. So if you're the fattest. You are you're in charge, right? And uh, you know, with um, say uh, frost giants, it's sort of the the biggest and toughest thing that you've you know fought and uh, defeated yourself uh, on your own. And so you know, it doesn't matter if you and a whole bunch of other giants killed the Tarask. It's you know that giant over there killed a white dragon and you've only killed a polar bear. So, mm. you know, you're below that, that giant over there in sort of the, the organ. And that's why many of the frost giants have uh, dragon trophies uh, that they carry around with them. Right, or other trophies. If you look at some of the art that we have, um, you'll see various bits of bone and fur and stuff like that on the frost giants, but then that's all sort of representations of the things that they've defeated themselves to mm -hmm. kind of put themselves in a place in the ordning and that kind of thing. So. And I like that some of the frost giants, uh, uh, and correct me if this is right, but some of their, their, their helms have horns uh, from old dragon species that are no longer around anymore. Yeah, that's that's the idea with those horns, is that the, there, there might be sort of dragons that either aren't around anymore, or maybe just dragons we haven't seen in a really long time, mm. you know, that they've got uh, some horns that on there that they've, they've kept in the family, as it were. One of the things, too, is that with all the various uh, elements of the ordning and the d different types of giants, um, if you want to pass on your status to your children, you know, you try and figure out a way. So if you're a really fat giant who's in charge, you stuff your kids full of food you know, <laughs> so that they, 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 you know, take on your legacy, as it were. Um, you know, if you're a cloud giant, the cloud giants, it, they're, they're, it's all about sort of ostentation and, and sort of basically bling, like how, how um, gaudy and, and um, amazingly rich and so on you can appear to be. And so obviously if you have a lot of wealth, you would gift that wealth to, you know, your children or people, other people you favor or something like that in order to sort of secure their places in the ordning. Makes sense. And uh, so uh, the ordning, was the, was the ordning created in response to uh, uh, the giant's ancient conflict with the dragons or was that uh, something that was kind of always been in place? 
Um, my sense from, so the, the ordning itself, the term ordning uh, comes from a book, um, the Forgotten Realms book called um, Giants, something, something with Giants. Giant, oh gosh, Giant Kind? Giant, was it Giant Craft? Giant Craft, thank you. Craft? Giant Jeez. Craft. Um, and it was basically, I think, invented for that product. And then um, there's a whole um, supposed history of uh, the giants going way back to before humans were really even a major concern in the world, where they have a giant empire. And, and that's essentially when that's all established. That um, Anum is a god in the world at that time of the Empire of Astoria. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, he sort of retreats after the giants lose their battle against the dragons because the dragons um, then sort of rise at that point as well and so they kind of come to blows and um, and I mean it's a theoretically very interesting period in time because it's it's not just good and evil dragons fighting one another it's good dragons and evil dragons fighting against giants right and then it's just the the whole planet erupting into war because there are dragon lairs all over the place there are giants all over the place nobody there's no front Mm -hmm. you know there's no place where everybody goes up and lines up and goes and fights it's just happening everywhere all at once and so it's a uh, that basically wrecked both empires and now we're at so So in the uh, uh, annals of all the deities of the forgotten realms where do the where do the giant gods kind of sit are they uh, you know have we seen them before or is this something that only giants kind of really think about and can consider are there any other mortals uh, uh, you know small folk uh, those who are not giant, uh, who worship them or have any connection to them, I, for the most part, it's it's really just the giants, and um, a lot of products have focused on uh, just the male giant deities because there's a very obvious um, uh, connection between you know, okay, Thrym uh, is a, looks like a big frost giant. He's the god of the frost giants. We're good, got it, sold. <laughs> um, Whereas a lot of the female frost giant deities that have existed since monster mythology uh, are um, a little harder to wrap your head around, you know, and they aren't even necessarily given a giant type um, as far as frost and so on and so forth. So right. like there's like Ilianus and Dian Castra and, um, and then there are other sort of uh, sub-deities like um, uh, Vaprak and Kostichi and th- those are both... Um, sort of demon or uh, evil deities that giants sometimes worship. Mm-hmm. Um, but, there, I mean, there's a whole pantheon there that really hasn't been played with much at all. And so it's really exciting with this new story to kind of get into that again and, and um, touch on some of those little bits and bobs. Nice. Adam, what's your, uh, what's your favorite uh, uh, giant deity? Coast Chi-Chi, of course. Why is that? Because he's a total badass. <laughs> He had to, there's this one uh, I don't know it must have been on cover of, of something but I, I forget what what it was but dragon I, yeah dragon yeah and it's just this scene of Coach Chichi in the snow and he has got this wicked hammer that you just know is gonna pulverize this this warrior who he thinks he's gonna win he's like yeah I'm bad I'm gonna get you Coach Chichi and it's just like no you're not <laughs> you're gonna die in a pool of blood and you will stay in the snow and that'll be it nice and it's Coach Chichi the uh, uh, deity of Giant deity of what? Oh, so Kozichi is actually um, uh, a demon like lord. Demon. Yeah, he's a demon lord. Yeah, um, it's not one of the main ones. Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of this weird 
little demon lord is just super strong and is a giant and has a hammer. And, you know, so we didn't have a whole lot to do with that, you know. But he's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He likes the cold. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, so mean, some giants worship him uh, uh, similar to how some drow worship Loth and in that, in that kind of way. Right, right. And um, there are certainly giants that, that turn away from the normal giant pantheon of gods, just like there, you know, are, are humans who go and worship, you know, demons or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So, yeah. Very cool. But, you know, I also just like saying Coast Chi-Chi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could say Scoria Stonebones, but uh, Coast Chi-Chi. Uh. So, yeah, what's, what's about Stonebones? What's, uh, what's his deal? Um, he's what the stone giant, uh, yeah. you know, uh, god. Uh, I don't know much about him as far as, like, what he's done or where he's at, but um, I just know that, uh, yeah, the stone giants uh, worship him and, and uh, drive their... Wisdom from his teachings, mm -hmm. I guess. So he's, is he out of all these as he's the more learned uh, out of the deities? Yeah, so that there are hints of that in monster mythology and uh, legend and lore <clears throat> where they talk about the various um, giant gods and how they interact and that kind of a thing. And we wanted to bring a little bit more of that to the fore with, um, with the adventures where... Uh, you get to see a little bit more of the personality. But I mean, honestly, the, the adventures aren't about seeing gods do things. There's not a lot there. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the, the idea is essentially it's, it's a bit more like North, Norse mythology where you have um, Loki and Thor go on adventures sometimes and they fight alongside each other. And then other times they hate each other. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's, there's various family tensions and stuff like that. And so we imagine, um, and there are some hints of stories again, in monster mythology, et cetera, where it's like, you know, um, Scorius Stonebones is sort of the wise um, member of the the group, but like, I th did this even make it out in our product? This might be it. This might be just something that's in your head. This might be a spoiler. <laughs> I think it's going to be in a product, so it would be a spoiler if I said it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. But but like, it's, it's about like how essentially, um, I think the story is that, uh, you know, something more or less like Thrym came to um, Scorius to ask what, uh, you know, Surtur had whispered in his ear and what, you know, and he, uh, basically that Scorius told him and Thrym goes off and goes off and fights Surtur and so on. And, and basically, if he questioned Scorius more, it would have re revealed that, like, Scorius had lied to him or something mm. like that. There's lots of little things like that where, or that he knew that me maybe it was about Memnor. I don't remember now. But it, it, they, they have interrelations and in, in different personalities that um, come forward in their, in their stories that we imagine they would have if we had more time to sort of build that mythology out. Well, I like that we can, uh, uh, you know, as, as kind of the caretakers in D&D, like give these little threads and have the uh, uh, details be worked out around the table, around each individual table. When, you know, a, a, a DM can take some of this stuff and love the Norse mythology part of it and then flesh it out in play uh, uh, throughout everything. So I think that's really cool. Um, but uh, I want to ask you one thing before we uh, closed uh, up this segment. And you mentioned all the uh, uh, women uh, giant deities who don't necessarily have a type associated with them. Can you talk a little bit more about about them, uh, what, do, what do they do? Yeah, so there's um, there's a there's a few. There's Hyatia or Hytia, uh, and she is a giant goddess who um, basically uh, the idea was Anum really didn't do anything but recognize his male children, um, Thrym and Surtur and so on, and uh, she basically slew some like Superhydra or. 
a Tarrasque, it depends upon the story, and um, marched into Annam's chamber and threw down the heads and was just like, what up, bro? (laughs) And and so he was sort of forced to acknowledge her, and so she's sort of this crazy uh, huntress goddess um, who uh, supposedly like goes off and you know hunts in the beast lands and stories are told about her there and you know everyone recognizes like what an awesome badass huntress she is mm-hmm. uh, and then there's also Ilianus who is a goddess of sort of love and romance um, there's a uh, Dion Castra who is a, a sort of a, I guess she's described as sort of an impudent trickster goddess mm-hmm. um, there's a weird thing where uh, she's supposed to be um, the one who will somehow wake Anum from his slumber and bring him back uh, by um, just being spunky enough. That's, <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> goddess <laughs> of spunk. As long as you have spunk. And, uh, and then and that's all from monster mythology, basically. And then um, Giant Craft adds also Othea as one of the sort of mother goddesses. Um, and she's very much sort of this strange uh, mercurial earth mother like figure who mm. um, also gives birth to like weird monstrosities and stuff like that. So oh, interesting. It's very strange. Yeah. Strange pantheon. I like weird it, family. It is a weird family. I like how it pulls threads from so many different uh, 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 you know real world mythologies. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned monster mythology a few times. Is that a? I'm not familiar with that D and D product. Yeah, it's an old one. Uh, so it is available for PDF. As a PDF on um, RPG Now, yeah, or, RPG Now or um, dndclassics.com, I should say. That, yes, and uh, it's a great old book about the various um, gods and of the various monster types, and so it'll give you gods for multiple gods for kobolds and you know multiple gods for lizard men and you know all kinds of things like that. Interesting, so, and that was uh, like an early '80s. Uh, yeah, release um, that uh, now we've been going I, mean, I think that's part of what is a cool part of your jobs where you guys get to go delve into that stuff and then reissue it into the new storylines yeah is it, it Laugzed the god of kobolds <laughs> Laugzed is uh, no that was it was there a troglodyte yeah, yeah troglodyte oh, okay. yeah I think <laughs> awesome um, alright well thanks guys uh, uh, always great to get more detail on this and we'll come back to you uh, over the course of the summer with more uh, lore you should know so thank you guys sweet so that was our amazing segment Lori should know what did you think Shelly was, was that as amazing as you thought it was I'm gobsmacked you are gobsmacked <laughs> I can tell from your face I don't even know what to say right now <laughs> there's <laughs> so much to go over I just I do like to listen to the people we work with talk about the things that we work on because sometimes and you're just you hear it all day when you're at your desk yeah and then sometimes I just like to pretend boop, 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 I'm not a Wizards of the Coast employee, and I have not worked here for over a decade. What does it sound like to... To be a fly on the wall? To be a fly on the wall. Like, what are people at Colgate talking about right now? Not this stuff. It's amazing. It is. It is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk to some other cool people. We're going to talk to Adam Greenwood right now about his new book, Death Mask. So let's get him on the horn. All right. Yes. (gasps) Hello. What? I can hear you. Can That's you hear amazing. me? That's amazing. Ed, you came out of nowhere. Like, you literally came out of the ether, the ear ether. <laughs> I live in the ether. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's what we Ed, called you. Ed, we miss you. Ah, uh, but my aim is getting better. 
Well, and uh, I don't think I've ever met you over the, the airwaves before. I'm Greg Tito. Thank you Hi, so much. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for, for coming on to, to talk. Hey, no problem. My pleasure. Sound levels, are we okay? Am I sufficiently reverb? Brian has given you the double thumbs up. Oh, my gosh. He's got three thumbs up now. Wait, no. Those nope, are, seven, oh, eight. Those are the God. devil horns. Oh, He's yeah. thrown the devil horns, so you're good. <laughs> oh, oh, so he, he wants the full uh, radio stack. <laughs> yeah, this, the full Ted, Teddy Pendergrass uh, voice. Oh, we can do that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can also give you Marvin Gaye if you want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you, you know, or, or I can do the, you know, hey, how are you doing? You know? The Bob? See, the Bob Salvador? The Bob Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, that's not Bob. That's Vinny. That was a little bit, yeah, that was John Travolta from uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, yeah, I, I can do Bob, but do Bob. You, know, you, you did Bob. Hey, Ed. That's all yes. I got. That's all, that's all you got? <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's your Bob impression is, hey, Ed. Hey, it's Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> you know me in voices. You're very good. You, you... <laughs> <laughs> our ventriloquist. You, you just have to do it in person. It's true. Yep. Because then, you know, people can sp- stick their tongue down your throats and give you their voices. Oh, that's how, that's why people stick tongues down throats. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to give you the voices. Well, unless, was... they're, unless they're, you know, assistants and they're checking on your tonsils, you know. Oh. Oh, yeah, there's that one. Why, Tito, that when's the last time you've been to a doctor? Like five years. Jeez. Yeah. And, Get uh, healthy, I just man. had a turn and cough. It had nothing to do with uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> a turn and, and cough. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Can you feel it? Anything when I do this? <laughs> I feel nothing. I am numb below the waist. <laughs> you know that man is not a doctor. <laughs> well, he had his own trailer that and everything. Guy, that guy that follows you out to your car every yeah. night. It's not a doctor. He's oh not gosh. a mobile doctor. Oh. Well, next time I'll look for some credentials. <laughs> See, we have to pay for that in Toronto if you want guys to follow your car dressed as really? doctors. Really? I feel like Canada is way more liberal than the U.S. It's right. They have oh, national yeah. health care. It's way better. Yeah. Yeah, you can turn yeah, cough yeah. for free in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Mm, well, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ed. Uh, we're excited to talk about <laughs> no uh, your new book. <laughs> we'll edit out all that other stuff. Uh, no way. No, no Let's have another drink. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, it's later, it's much later there for you at this point, right? Uh, yeah, don't worry, it's only 7 o'clock. I, I hit the sack around 2 in the morning. Okay, good. He's got one more hour until The Bachelorette comes on. <laughs> <laughs> we will make sure we Which have Which I'm sure he's very, very excited time. about, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, Ed, thank you for joining us to talk about, uh, uh, Death Mass. What's, uh, so, yeah, this, this new book, uh, it's set in Waterdeep, uh, and, uh... It's got what, one of the best covers, It I does think. have a really excellent oh, cover. I yes, think it's, it's gorgeous. my favorite Although, cover. Although, I must say, when, when the, when the artist, Richard Wright, um, sent out the unadorned cover, mm. so you could see it without all the lettering and, and see it without it being wrapped around, I thought, oh, that is a gorgeous cover. You can't see it as well on the actual book. So I want everybody to buy, like, a print as well as the cover. You know, that's <laughs> all the detail. Could, could you put the unspread one on the Watsy website somewhere? Oh. You know? Because, oh. yeah. I mean, that, that is gorgeous. When yeah. you see the woman in the archway looking out at the head, it it, does, it's like, wow. It tells a story. It's almost like the book tells us, uh, the almost, cover tells yeah. us. Story, but For people who don't like words, they can just look at the cover. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I can act the book if people want to phone up and they've got like, I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. What's your phone 32 number? 32 hours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give out your phone give number. Give out your phone number, actually. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll just shunt them all to sell. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, for uh, so Ed Greenman, you you created uh, the Forgotten Realms a long time ago. Father of the yes. realms. Um, yes. And uh, you've been writing these books, uh, uh, you know, set in all of them. What's it like going back to it and, and uh, 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 you know, dramatizing it in this way? And uh, and then talk a little bit specifically about this story. It's it's all with, okay. My problem is I don't get enough chances to tell endless stories about the realms at, you know, um, 15 or 20 volume length. Mm. You know, I, 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 I think people should be able to paper their rooms with um, nonstop realm stories. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not like trying to get those um, book slots because I, I don't have enough time in my life to, to actually do that. But I would love to. That's what I ache to do. And I always want to be telling stories of the realms, no matter what it is, no matter what time of day or night it is or what mood I'm in or what's happening. Oh, in the realms right now, you know, and, and I'm always thinking that way. And um, although there's a part of me that says the, the published history of the realms inevitably tends to concentrate on certain places over and over again, and mm -hmm. Waterdeep is one of them. And wouldn't it be nice if we carpet bombed some other area of the realms, hmm. literary sense? Um, but at the same time, Waterdeep is an old friend, and I want to catch up on what's happening in Waterdeep this season, what's happening in Waterdeep this week or 10 day. And of course, most of my books um, tend to take place over a very short span of days, you know, a, a, a six or seven day span or a 10 day, or, you know, you know there might be one or two. Um, foreshadowing scenes or following epilogues that, that take place further in time spread from that spread. But most of them tend to take place, bang, 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 things happen in a row. So we're sort of looking in on Waterdeep one more time, and we're looking in on Waterdeep specifically at the Year of the Scarlet Witch, which is sort of later than a lot of the stuff we've been um, doing recently, fiction-wise. Mm -hmm. And it, it sort of gives us, this is what Waterdeep is like right now, which is in some ways, not much different, and in other ways, very different. For instance, Mert is a lord of Waterdeep. Mert's been a lord of Waterdeep now for, oh, going on 150 years, but he's been away from Waterdeep, and he's been sort of in stasis, you know, during the whole spell plague thing. So he's returned, and at the beginning of uh, Death Masks, he wants to go to his house, Mert's mansion, and discovers that, hey, Laryl's living in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> someone forgot oh, to tell him. Okay, yeah, and 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 the other thing is, of course, the current Lords of Waterdeep. Well, he's not really a lord. Well, yes, he is. And when he last left Waterdeep, he was one of the senior lords. You know, used to uh, like like the the guy at the lodge who tells the young members where where to go right. and what to do. And all of a sudden, he's got a whole bunch of um, young whippersnappers, from his point of view, who are of course wealthy movers and shakers who don't want some old fart from the past telling them what to do. Oh, yeah, in your day, sure, Grandpa, you walked uphill both ways. You know, that sort of stuff. And, and of course, he's um, also, he wants to, at the same time, it's sort of great not to have the, um, the responsibilities of behaving like a lord. Okay, if you don't want to be a lord, if I'm going to be a lord at large... I get to go out late and drink. I get to kick, you know, <laughs> kick over the traces. And, hmm. of course, we're plunged into a situation involving Elminster and the Blackstaff, who is not Kelvin in this book, um, and Mert and Laryl, um, all facing a problem. And that problem is 
someone is killing the great lords of Waterdeep at a great rate. And who and why is it, um, in, you know, is it all individual things? Is somebody just settling scores? Or is somebody trying to sort of um, establish regime change by just removing all the incumbents and voting their own into the empty chairs? And if so, who? Because the, the problem with Waterdeep is it's not – if something – if a murder happens or somebody goes down, it's not um, who's the suspect. It's we'll have thousands of suspects for everybody. Which one of them did it? And right. because Waterdeep is a cut and thrust city, um, it, it may be a tolerant crossroads thing, but it's also um, a city of entrepreneurs. And that means people go into the corners with their elbows up. And there are old money nobles, and there are new money nobles, and they are just like, um, to put, not to put too fine a point on it, um, modern Americans, nouveau riche versus old money, for you know, blue stocking, this is the way things are done, Ivy League, blah, 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 versus, hey, I made it myself, I didn't get daddy's pile, right. or um, mummy's pile, you know, um, it, and therefore, there's a difference in approach, and there's a, everybody has different ideas about what's right for Waterdeep. And an astonishing number of people equate what is good for them personally with what will be good for Waterdeep. I, I'm being sarcastic here because that is, of course, human nature. Although there are a few um, old fogies like Elminster, like Mert, and like some of the older nobles who actually do have some philanthropic, uh, altruistic – they can see a, a good future or a good status quo for the city not necessarily being something that – personally feathers their nest, but they are dealing with a whole bunch of people who think otherwise, and it's me first, and it's me, 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 and there's a lot of that bashing off each other in the city of Waterdeep, and at the same time, we get to see the usual thing. We get a, a, a bunch of adventurers newly arrived in town, you know, like, uh, who just want to find work. That's why they're here, mm -hmm. and, and uh, we see things quite differently from their point of view, and as always, I like to show little bits of servants talking and so on. I don't want it always to be you get to hear the king and the princess and the grand vizier, but you don't get to hear the guard and you don't get to hear the cook in the kitchen. That's no fun. I want them all in on the... So you get to see things from all points of view because everybody's living a life. And it, to make it feel alive in the city, I have to show everything. And as you can probably tell, I can just go on blah, 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 all night. <laughs> so <laughs> ask me another question. <laughs> nice. Uh, so the, the story of Deathmass is then a, uh, 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 as a mur it's a murder mystery uh, in some ways. In some ways, but it's different than Spellstorm. My previous book, Spellstorm was like the um, country house murder, mm -hmm. um, of which the, the easiest way of thinking that is um, Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None, which course has it's a great book, two yeah. other politically incorrect titles older ones but it um not the movie of that which ruins the whole thing by making it a spooky haunted house with you know secret passages and so on um but the way it was written where it's a modern house with nowhere to hide on a rock of an island and nobody could come from the outside or have left which means mm -hmm. the cast of characters you are in the room with one of them is the guilty party at least one of them, maybe more than one of them. But I mean, it's it's the people immediately around you. That's the country house murder. That's right. what I did in Spellstorm. Um, here in Waterdeep, I turned the whole thing on its head. It's the old um, in movie case. In, it's you know the the dead body is found on the 
streets of Chicago or New York and you go, I am in a city of millions of people. It could be anybody. It could be me. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Why would anyone want to murder the most powerful people in the city? Well, yeah, there's I, a lot of people who would want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore it's needle and haystack time. Mm. And of course, the one thing I wanted to show more than anything else is for normal people in Waterdeep and for the superpowered people like the, the Black Staff who has this little problem with um, Cloud Giant Castle showing up, you know, um, <laughs> it, other things are going on. The, the, the life in the city does not stop for them to go, it's time to solve this murder or these right. murders or this continuing raft of murderers. Where will it strike next? Um, life is just rolling on and they're frantically trying to um, keep um, things on an even keel. And I also wanted to show Laryl um, giving us a wonderful illustration of how it's not good to be king. Mm. Being king is an endless stamp this, sign this. Did you, didn't you forget you had to meet the ambassador for so-and-so? Yes, I know you're stark naked in the bath, but he's going to be here in 30 seconds. So, you know, uh, it, and it's, an endless whirl. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's an endless whirl of that. And she is like, I don't want to do any of this. But I have to do any of the, all of this. This is part of the job. Couldn't I just remake the job to be doing the things I want to be doing? Well, no, I can't. I, I can do that slowly and subtly. I can turn this huge ship and start steering it where I want it to go. But in the meantime, the cat has to be fed and the, the cat's litter box has to be emptied and these things have to be signed and these people have to be patted on the head and this angry delegation has to be dealt with and the lords are meeting because they want to vote me in or vote me out or tell me what to do because they did vote me in as open lord and so therefore they feel that they have the right to tell me what to do because after all I'm just a figurehead and I'm a woman and you know and you know and and all this um, stuff about us my having great powers that came from Mistra must be a whole lot of you know horse pucky because you know, nobody can have that sort of power and be alive for um, thousands of centuries. You've just, you know, spray painted your hair silver and, and, and taken the name. And, and, and so just do what we say, okay? And she's trying to sort of keep her temper when it would be possible to blow some of these people right out of their boots in front of everybody else. Else. That would certainly get. To. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It, Elminster said long ago, and and he was mere, merely paraphrasing something that's been said by people in the real world. Um, the true measure of power and of being a wizard is knowing when not to use your powers, mm. when to pull back and when to hold. And and I'm, I want to show that not that there are right answers that I want to. Hey, I'm the author. Here's your right answer. I want to show the. The situations you keep being put into and the, the ongoing decisions you have to make and the sacrifices you have to make and the number of times that it is better to bite your tongue than to let fly. Usually. And then the, usually, yeah. And then <laughs> when you decide, okay, now I'm going to let you have it, both barrels. Interesting. And so, here are the repercussions, but this is, okay, it's gone to a point where the repercussions are worth it. I have to do this. But I want to show that that it's different for every person making the decision, every character. But I want to show that to the reader because that's something different than let's kill another orc. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's a it's like a trend that's happening kind of in all popular culture now, uh, where the idea of responsibility and 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 when you have you know when you're dealing in genre fiction, especially like you have to deal with. Uh, uh, 
you know, uh, the morality of whether it's okay to just basically kill every single person you think of as evil, uh, whether that's necessarily a good thing or if, you know, there's, there's some gray and whether, you know, I think superhero uh, stories have been exploring that over the last 10 or 15 years. And I think fantasy stories are now as well uh, uh, getting into the idea that there is no just some kind of swashbuckling right thing to do at any given moment. And, you know, you can get in there and do your acrobatic things and, and uh, uh, kill all the bad people. Uh, there's a lot more nuance to those stories now. And I think it's cool that you're ex- exploring that even more so uh, with this book. Yeah, I, I think it is the way to go. And I think, um, for instance, if you're doing a, a big a movie with huge battles, and let's assume a fantasy movie, so sort of medievalish battles, um, yes, you could do CGI and you could fill the screens with thousands of thundering horses or whatever and, and people screaming and falling off them. Um, but I think it, the more effective way is to show it as a whole series of personal things. You know, you are up close and personal with this spear carrier. You know, the, the old thing we used to um, read about in, in Napoleonic era stuff, mm. like the, the early, um, the War of Independence for the United States and so on, where um, the regiment is reduced to one guy holding the banner. <laughs> and then after his arms are blow, blowing off, he's holding the banner in his teeth. You know, <laughs> and, and that makes a more um, uh, interesting story than looking across. It, it's wonderful that you can pan across the battlefield and just be awed by how many people are here and are presumably going to die. But in the end, um, what matters to the viewer or the reader or the listener is what happens to the people they care about, which brings it, pulls it right back to the personal level. And yes, we can go all violence all the time. Um, and there are people who play Dungeons and Dragons in that way because they are killing the next monster and killing the next monster and killing the next monster. But if you show a reason why this fight matters and what the stakes are, it's the old thing of the the Wizard of Oz, the Mm. classic movie. I mean, there were many Wizard of Oz movies, but the one we all remember was Judy Garland and so on. And there are the guards, the the witch's guards. And there's that scene where you see um, the good guys rise up and they're suddenly wearing the uniforms of the guards. Mm. Okay, they've taken out some guards. Um, I think that would always be a more impressive, dramatic, impactful, and meaningful scene to the viewer or to the reader or to the listener if those guards had a spouse and kids at home. And the cost of just casually (gasps) taking them out was brought home as part of the story. Because then it's sort of like there is a cost to everything. Exactly. Perhaps that... Perhaps that guard would have gone on to invent, you know, the most wonderful self-cleaning toilet and made our all our lives better and cut down disease. But you so killed it. Wizard of Oz becomes the, the butterfly effect then? There you go. Why not? You know, yeah. But I mean, I always think about weird stuff like that when I'm writing because I want the reader to have cool stray thoughts throughout the book, not just go, uh-huh, and then this, uh-huh, and then this, and here's the dragon, uh-huh, the dragon's dead, okay, uh-huh, here's the builder, uh-huh. And it, it, I want them to be going, oh, but what if, oh, oh, he didn't go that way, oh, oh but, but I still had that thought, but what if, oh, but well, wait a minute, doesn't that mean there's nobody guarding, oh, okay, so somebody could right. now take over that guild because the guild master's dead, oh, um, and the head of that noble house, oh, uh, okay, there's going to be a battle inside that noble house because, of course, the other th- 
part of this is that people play this in their games or they think about it or they, they, they do. DMs and, and players draw on this and they read about it and it gives them an idea for something they could do in their own campaign. So do you find now that you're, I mean, do you, <clears throat> I got two questions now. So uh, are you still actively playing Dungeons and Dragons? Whenever I get the chance, which is almost never, but yes, I, <laughs> I am. So when, and, when, you're, when you're thinking about... I, I intend to. Writing a book, do you uh, think of yourself more as like the dungeon master for this particular uh, uh, plot and story that you're going through? Uh, or do you think about it more like you just said, where you uh, are planting seeds for other dungeon masters to, to grasp a hold of? Story first. But because of Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, all role-playing games. The difference, you always think like a dungeon master, and by that I mean if you are watching a movie, the director chooses what shots you see. So you can have buildings that are false fronts, and you never look around behind them. When you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, the players, unless you're, you know, really railroading them or carrot and sticking them, um, can say, wait a minute, I'm bursting through this door and looking what and what's run through whatever building it is, I'm going out into the alleyway behind. What's there? And as a dungeon master, you have to know what's there. It can't be a false front. You have to have thought about what if they zig instead of zag. <laughs> uh, I have to have, you know, and therefore you're thinking so your story has fewer holes in it. You may still, as the storyteller, rush them in this direction or that direction and not show them something else. Mm. But the other thing is, if you are a reader of fantasy who is also a Dungeons & Dragons player, you can usually tell if the author is just rushing you past something. Oh, please don't look there. No, no, no. This, <laughs> this is the nickel tour of the Louvre. We only have five minutes in this room, so please don't notice that we've taken all the statues from the left and only shown you the ones on the right because I don't want to spend time on those statues. Uh, they can tell when you're pulling that because they're used uh, – and they also, also – no, this is real. This feels alive to me. This feels solid. This feels deep. This feels rich. This feels colorful. And that's because the writer, even if they didn't put it all down in the finished story, they've all thought about it. And I have had editors in the past at Wizards and before that at TSR who have said, okay, it's sort of like the math teacher who says, I want to see your work. <laughs> right. I don't want to see the answer that you copied from the guy next to you. I want to see your work, so I want to know you had it there. Well, I've had editors who said, okay, how long did it take him to get from this part of the city to that part of the city? Okay, what route did he take? Show me on the map. <laughs> you know, and the old thing, of, wait a minute, the six-gun kid just shot 42 times without reloading. You know, in that how scene. did that happen? Right, explain <laughs> or, it to or us. The old, the old joke from the Western movie, you know, where the guy fires and 15 people fall off their horses. <laughs> Good shooting, man. Wow. They were all lined up in a very specific way yeah, so that the exit wounds. Way. Yeah. So, Ed, do you know the answer when somebody would ask you, what route did he take through the city? Is that in oh. your mind as you're writing? Yes, of course. Yeah, I figured you would be able to answer that question. Well, yeah, I don't know. You, you have to. Okay, here's the thing. I, I see the realms as, spatially, um, I can walk through it as a landscape. I am not as good about details of the realms that other people have added right. because they don't stick in my brain as much as they used to because my brain got overloaded and I went mad years ago, you know, like <laughs> when I was about six. Right. Um, and, you know, that's 50 years ago. So there's been 50 years of my going, um, but 
<laughs> Funny because you're not doing that now. You're talking very, co- doing very in, cogently. In his head. Yeah, in your head, that's what you're doing. It's, it's happening. It's a clever disguise. <laughs> no, uh, uh, but but um, yes, uh, I do actually um, think of the realms. I can walk down the streets. Um, years and years ago, when we were doing the um, Avatar modules, um, and I think Kim Mohan was sort of jumping into gang edit something to get it done in time. And he said, okay, what, it's, uh, what if this, they just go this way? Oh, they can't. They're, I said, there's a guard there. <laughs> you know, they, they can't get into this twisted tower that way. He there's two guards stationed right there. 515. Yeah. <laughs> he goes home to meet his wife and kid. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in my mind, I can walk around the castle. I can walk around the village. I can walk around the city of Waterdeep or Raven's Bluff or Suzale or Westgate. And I know what it'll smell. I know what it'll look like. And what I can't keep up with is the other writers who keep tearing down buildings and putting up new ones. You know, I can't keep up with the, the, the subdivisions and the redevelopers downtown. It's like modern life, right? Where's Bane that parking lot? What happened to that gas station? You mean there's no gas stations downtown anymore? Oh, we're going to have to walk. <laughs> and when does Waterdeep I mean, have gas stations? <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I have in my mind, the, I can walk around the realms. That's in, in in my mind, which yes means I am crazy. Yeah, that's fine. No, that's you not crazy. You literally live in another world. That's amazing. Uh, just fine. I think that's what, what I think it's cool. What everybody uh, uh, who ha- like finds uh, Dungeons and Dragons books as a kid or reads your, yeah. your novels now, like I think everybody is is walking around in the world that you made up, which is pretty amazing. It is. It's cool. When do I get rich? No. <laughs> <laughs> You are when do rich. I get my kidney shake swimming pool full of starlets? I would always demand that. Oh, we, ha- oh, we have that. We, that you, I sent that out last week. You didn't get that? <laughs> oh, I must have gotten oh, caught you. up in custom. Good. It's it got, in the it's, mail. Okay. Oh, it's, it's customs. customs. It's customs. Uh, There's probably all sorts of cool stuff you don't get from us because of customs. Well, because so much of this stuff is because of customs. <laughs> well, yeah, I can see the customs guys unwrapping all these drowned starlets that are in <laughs> champagne-filled <laughs> swimming pool going... Yeah. Yeah, I don't were, think we could put these across the border. We only gave them two days of air because it was two days yeah. shipping. So two days air. So day. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what it means? Very That's good. what that means, right? <laughs> uh, I have to talk to our marketing assistant. He needs to really think about this. Seriously. Uh, so, um, well, you mentioned that you know it's all about like uh, uh, characters that uh, readers care about. So, uh, uh, Elminster, how does he figure into Death Mass? Oh boy. Okay. Well. People may have noticed for the last little while um, that all my novels are supposed to be Elminster novels. That was the contract, you know, right? It's Elminster novels. Right. But they may have noticed that I have been diminishing Elminster's role in some of the recent ones for two reasons. And one of them is that he's now taking part in events where he shouldn't necessarily be center stage all the time. And the other reason is with all the deities in the realms coming back but coming back more distant it is time for the new guard to take over Mm. it is time for your characters to shine if you are playing in the realms um so increasingly it is time for the the old um movers and shakers to if not exactly retire but to step gracefully into the midground to let other people shine and that that's um something of that is happening here the other thing that's happening here is 
um, all of the uh, chosen of Mistra, and I'm, I'm now speaking of the traditional chosen, the ones before the sundering where suddenly all the gods had hundreds of chosen, <laughs> and some of them, you know, didn't more, have much in the way of power. And some of them were more chosen than others, right? Yes, yes. Yes, some were more chosen. Okay, I'm talking about the chosen that we knew of before the spell plague. The right. seven, the seven sisters, um, Kelvin, Elminster, um, all of them, um, are magically far less powerful. And I think that makes a far more interesting book in Death Mask because uh, Laryl and Elminster can't blow people away. Um, if, you, if you read through all the combat from end to end of the book, you can pretty well figure out what spells, if you, you know, stop and dissect it, yeah. characters are using. And nobody's getting um, a get-out-of-jail-free card or an extra spell card or anything. People are following the rules. And there are lots of limitations on what Laryl and Elminster and the, some of the people they're fighting against can do, which forces them to be far more... Um, intrigue and diplomatic and manipulative and less I'm just going to hurl a fireball down the street yeah. and I suppose most of Castle Ward at the other end of the street will be destroyed but that's just too bad you know? <laughs> because my goals were met and that's all that's important yes, my goals were met and, and it made a nice code to the scene so thank you very much <laughs> they can rebuild as we always do urban renewal <laughs> that's right. He, that's, <laughs> by by blasting an entire district, it just means that you can build anew uh, with new materials and things that uh, uh, will make other lords of Waterdeep rich because they're the builders. Yes, there, exactly. Ed, that's how you can get rich. That's how you there can you get go. rich, Ed. There you go. I just do a fireball. Ah, <laughs> throw fireballs. Okay. Yeah, but you see, I haven't figured out it. They're still imaginary. And, oh. and, and, I, and I always think of the consequence. I always think of the children from... As you should. Country. No. <laughs> but I think of your country, too. I mean, you know, if I was living in Seattle, hey, I could take care of that commute problem in no time oh, at all. Just please. teleport. But, yeah. but the destruction of destroying most of the downtown so that the expressways could be everywhere and doing everything would not be worth the candle. Well, they're you doing know, that now, the, though. Yeah, That's the can. thing. They are well, kind of like, you know, digging a hole through uh, uh, Seattle to... to make that and Boston went through the same thing when they did their big dig yeah. to, to dig holes through Bertha. so some of it is some of it's happening but you're right no you can't whole just blow up the city falls into the hole you can't do that well, right. that's what they're see the novel <laughs> wait this sounds like a villain thing to do that's like what uh, 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 isn't that what um, in the first Superman movie yes 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 Lex Luthor was trying to make a new a new coastline and, and you see, it's very easy. You just dupe Superman into fighting downtown instead of out on a mountain range or a desert, and he does your urban renewal for you. <laughs> see, <laughs> I, think, I think now we have confirmed you are, you are the villain in any story. Yeah, <laughs> the mastermind. <laughs> it's all in how you look at these things. It is true. Uh, I but prefer to look at myself as the spinner of new possibilities. That sounds like a villain right there. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds. Can like you just see him going? The Riddler would, would say such things. Oh, right? wait a minute. Let me do this. Yes, probably. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yes, I am the spinner of. But you, uh, you do make a good I'm point about. My cat. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm glad you said cat there. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes uh, my mind went there too, but of course. <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, you, you make legal. a good point uh, about uh, uh, Elminster uh, not having to be as powerful as uh, uh, you know. It makes it for a much more interesting story when he's not just you know uh, having a magical get out of jail free card. I think that is much more interesting. Yeah. Um, do you think that uh, uh, it, it makes for a good story? Is it harder to write that story when he doesn't have all those powers? Oh no, it's easier to write that story. Um, one of the things I would want to do if if I as a as a novelist as a fiction writer we're running Wizards of the Coast and getting to decide the rules of D&D to make my story writing easier, the first <laughs> thing I want to do is get rid of every divination and identification and no alignment and locate object, all those spells, get rid of them. Because once they're removed from the game, you actually have to go and search for things. Right. You actually have to go and get your hands dirty, which means you have so many more opportunities to set up scenes where... Somebody's got to go in there and trigger the trap. Hello, thief. <laughs> or wherever. I mean, there, there's none of this. Um, I will just cover my eyes and I will think of England. No, I will think of tea. No, I will think of kumquats. And yes, I know exactly where the royal crown that was stolen is. It's in that room half a continent away. It's being sat on by so-and-so. Go and kill him. You know, it it, it, it can be fun for a visual 30 second kaboom scene but it makes the storytelling so lazy and cheap and everything so easy it's then then we're back to the oh another plus 46 or yawn i just throw it in the bag with the rest oh this game doesn't hold any challenges anymore well i want things to be dirty and difficult and nasty because that's what adventure really is people having a frightening, dirty, nasty, horrible time while you watch. <laughs> right, right. And hopefully don't have to share in the danger. Well, there, is, isn't cool. there is something to be said for the growing of power. So like, you know, a story starts uh, when uh, a character has much less power uh, but with uh, and, then, and then grows over time. And that's fun for, for a reader to participate in. But yeah, El- but, Elminster's but, but always been, been powerful. But that's the... I, the problem is Elminster's been powerful and he's always had this whimsical i like to keep secrets i like to manipulate streak Mm. and if i go too far in that direction and i do it too often in print it becomes really it feels sneering and snide and unfair because um i can do everything and i'm not and i could i could end this book right now if i behave like this but i'm not going to because i have a secret a secret plan. I'm not going to tell you what the secret. And it's like, oh, will you just get lost? You know, the rest of us are fighting and dying here. You know, and you're. You know, so I thought, okay, if if his powers are less and he has to do things, he has to manipulate. Which is the the thing that in the past I always used to have big struggles with the editors to show because what I was trying to show that usually got left on the cutting room floor is that a great amount of time in Elminster's day, a typical day was to go and whisper this thing in this old lady's ear and then go and tell that merchant over there this other little thing and go and show this little kid if you do this in the mud the water flows this way because it goes downhill because he's setting in motion things in thousands of other people's lives and he's working towards steering things and and all the chosen mister we're supposed to take um magic items and scrolls, spell scrolls, and 
break open the tombs of old dead wizards and put those magic items and spell scrolls in the tombs for other young people to find, like adventurers, breaking in. Because after all, it makes no sense at all that all this treasure is lying around underground <laughs> with monsters guarding it. It's like, okay, there has to be a reason. It's put there. Oh, Mr. wants to get magic into the hands of each new generation. So the use of magic will spread. <laughs> so so they're chosen. This is what they do. They go around and they go up taking scrolls and they write a new scroll and then they wipe their behind with it and they walk all over it and so on and make it look old and then they singe the corner of it in the oh fire and then they roll it up and then they shove it in the tomb. It's been there forever. You know. That's what they've been doing this whole time? Yes, they've that's been, what they've been doing this whole time. So all I, of the, the magic items and scrolls that uh, uh, adventurers have found for 40 plus years <laughs> of uh, D&D history have all because of you? <laughs> that's why I look like Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that's awesome. Possibility. Isn't that his name? <laughs> that is awesome. So, Ed, I'm just curious. I've talked to you a number of times throughout the years. Yes, I, you clearly, I don't think anyone embodies the word storyteller more than you. I mean, you can't just, you just say, how is your day? And then you just tell a tale. But where do wow. you, I'm just curious <laughs> about how you write these stories and what your process is like are you always with a notebook and a pen are you a computer guy are you a typewriter guy do you always have a story in your head how i mean you you are incredibly prolific you can crank something out in no time but are you always writing or are you always thinking about writing like what's going on in your head how are these books coming to fruition my subconscious is always thinking yes i actually do have a a real life (laughs) it's quite busy um and I usually have about 40 story ideas. They may not be all be novels. They could be little vignettes or limericks, dirty limericks, whatever. You know, um, not all novel lengths going on at one any one time. And as to how I do it, I started writing longhand. Oh. Then I had my father's typewriter. Then um, publishers, including TSR, would no longer have the stenographer pool um, input <laughs> into the mainframe <laughs> your typing <laughs> so you um, in fact my my um, advance payment for the, a novel called Spellfire you know an early realms novel my first realms novel was a computer oh. so that I could write ah. from then on on computer it was the, the original Mac 2 um, wow. <laughs> um, because they wanted to get me into writing and at various stages of writing for TSR and later for Wizards I was writing in the coding of the day so it could be directly fed in the format coding you know BB begin bold you know and the heading and then um, bracket EB end bold and then you actually did that in the fanfold paper days wow. so as to, to say because it made the editor's job easier for making your word count actually fit the product because they were training me at TSR that Ed, no, Ed, no, 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 Ed, it gives us more work. When we ask for 64 pages and you give us 464, it's really fun that we have 400 pages on the cutting room floor. We'll pick them up and use them in something else. Yes, but please stop. We're <laughs> driving our editors nuts. <laughs> you know, um, for the first little while, that's what I would do. I just, I would write. And the editor's job was to pick this little bit and that little bit and this other little bit and put them in the product and just throw everything else in the drawer for later. Right. And the, and literally, I was filling up TSR's mainframe, literally. Um, so they were training me. So yes, now I do it all on computers, 
and I'm used to doing it in a specific format or in a specific program, usually whatever version of Word is current at the time, but um, flowing things into templates so that they look, again, to make the word count um, match, which means the editing work in-house can truly be development and not, oh my God, look how much she sent us this time. Yeah, we have to cut it all up again. Yeah, I mean, that's in the early days of the realms, that was great because all this extra stuff was being stuffed into drawers for later. I wonder and where that it, stuff is now. I know. Well, most of it. I was thinking it, that too. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, some stuff hit the dumpsters, I know, because I was around when, when all the TSR stuff, that, that those those fascinating days when stuff was being shipped to Renton, you know, that yeah. was being put on pallets and then everybody would run around and around it with the tape, you know, to turn it into a, a cone of tape on a pallet because <laughs> it had to go, you know, but, but um, yeah, the, I, I do write in every format because I have to. Um, uh, many of the major publishers, including Wizards, um, but most of the major New York publishers I write for, they want outlines. They they don't. Uh, the days of saying, "Hey Ed, give me a book on, on you know Minotaurs making love to beholders, and here's the cover for it. It has to match the cover, and could I have it by Thursday?" Um, although I did a lot of that for Dragon um, Magazine over the years. The, the the days of doing it that way are largely gone. You know, we actually need to see the outline because we need to put it in our catalog or we need to give this outline to the artist so they can paint a cover and we need to know that it's going to fit this line. Like, if this is a, a horror line, we don't want your book of a children's comedy. Uh, <laughs> oh, I or, do. I would love Ed yeah. Greenwood's book of children's comedy. But it would <laughs> not, not being sold in the horror line, though. Would Maybe not. Do? <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I, I should be writing for a particular age, you know, do, do the Joe Rowling thing, you know, so as the kid. Eh. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll always possibilities. That because, because that's that's something I actually have at the back of my sleeve for, for my own publishing thing. You know, um, many, many um, different things because that's the other thing I do. I work on wildly different projects at once. So I don't get bored with anything, and yeah. if I bog down on one, I just switch to the other, and that's the beauty of computers. Yeah, I can. And in fact, there was uh, the year that TSR was bought, or the year before TSR was bought by Wizards. Um, I wrote eleven products for them, or co-wrote eleven products that year, and I had a full-time job, and that full-time job was six days a week, and I commuted on. 100 miles each way to the job. What? So there were times I didn't even know what my own name was. And there were literally times where I'm typing this wonderful sex scene with fighting, you know, and then I suddenly realize, wait a minute, the names of the protagonists in the scene are wrong for this novel. Oops. I've this wasn't supposed to be a sex scene. This was supposed yeah. to be a fight scene. I'm yeah, conflated them. This is children's them. comedy. This is children's comedy. <laughs> But yes, but by the magic of computers, I can just lift it and put it. I put this scene here. Well, you know, made. and and uh, so I, I write however I have to. And um, to answer your question, uh, more and more these days, I get things like, um, "Ed, could you write me this? Can I have it by nine o'clock tonight?" Oh. And I need it this long, and I just start writing. And you just do. I that. say, "What That's do you great. want me to hit? What what beats do you need me to hit?" You know, is is this for kids? Is this explicit? Okay, are there any bone moles that characters have to come out of the characters' mouths at particular points? In other words, 
points of view that you want driven home, yeah. like with hobnailed boots, uh, so that the reader remembers this, that you know that the, the king said this to because it presages doom, and that has to be in the scene. Okay, I'll put I then I I write the scene up to that to to enshrine it to make that really big, and then I move on, and then I then I get to the end of the word count that is necessary, and I wrap. Um, increasingly, it's like writing for movies. Um, you know that 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 wonderful studio job where the guy sits on the stool on set for that moment when the star says, hey, my character would never say that. <laughs> or what's my character's motivation? And right. the director, facing the fact that that actor is more important than anything else to the movie, goes, eh, right, you're right. Cut. You know, everybody downs tools. Everybody goes for smoke break except the writer frantically writes some replacement stuff and they plug it in so they can keep going. Um, um, more and more, I do that sort of writing as well as all the my my long term projects. So I write in every sort of which way to me. And and I, I think I think uh, Chris Perkins has said this recently. In the end, it's not format; it's story. Right. Mm -hmm. Story is sense. eternal. Story is what shines. The way in which we deliver a story changes over time, um, with technology, with the audience, with new generations. It's the story. How can we connect you with the story? How can you enjoy the story? How can you interact with the story? How can you immerse yourself in the story? Um, and yeah. being as, you know, as we said earlier, shipping these um, champagne-filled swimming pools across borders, that sort of immersion doesn't seem to be working. So we have to find other ways of doing it. Other and, ways. And, yeah. If, yes. if I could find, um, you know, I'm, I'm always tinkering with new ideas, too. What if we could do... A D and D thing, which is like a little chapbook that opens for young kids that that verbally tells the story and has things that they fill in, like the the old like sticker lips. books and the old where you they, where yeah. you pull out um, something and then you put it in the right place in the book. So you could, in effect, alter the story or choose your own story by which stickers you put where, and then the book would rearrange the story around the choices you've made. And you could do it over and over again, so you're telling your own story your own way, but not as role-playing it, but for the very young, for their personal story to take to bed, their book to take to bed, to read oh. with family. Mm -hmm. That's Friends. pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, there are format ideas like that. There, you can have it. No, is it? Right. <laughs> because that's something I don't think I can get to, but it's something that I, can, I, I think that we'll a large that. corporation... I know. Yeah, we'll we'll take the that. wheels are turning, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'll put it in the know, VR. I, Everyone will love it. It'll be great. Exactly. When I look at Hasbro's yeah. know, reach and breadth and what wizards can do, that's something that I can't develop as a as a lone person. But that's something I'd like to see somebody tinker with. Very and cool. It, they might misfire. They might work. Oh, it will. It will misfire before it gets to be good. But we'll we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it happen <laughs> like for sure. Well, it was really really fantastic talking to you. I feel like uh, uh, I think me and Shelley could just you know sit here and listen to you just. Raps, rhapsodically uh, uh, monologue, I think, for hours and hours. So yep. uh, I, I'm sorry to have to cut you off, but I think we uh, would, let's just like, close it up with like a final like push for why we should people pick up Death Masks. Like, what makes it interesting uh, uh, in 30 seconds? Go. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. If you care about the realms, if you want to be au fait with the realms as it is now, you have to read Death Masks because it's going to set up so many things with tiny little Easter eggs and MacGuffins for stuff that's coming up that you haven't seen yet, that you haven't played yet, but you, you will and you will want to. Then you have to check in 
with dust masks and see what's going on. And it also brings you back to Waterdeep for a rollicking good story involving a cast of hundreds of characters that you can just pick up and drop into your own role-playing campaign or write your own fan fiction for, for yourself, not for publication, of course, or um, <laughs> <laughs> or that you can do it in spin-off adventures and put on DM's Guild because oh. it is chock full. It is a kitchen sink book. Everything is in there. There was a checklist, a secret checklist that, that Ooh, I, I talked with, with Chris and so on of all the beats I had to cover in this book to make sure that they're in there. Neat. And you so there them. are lots of things in there. There oh, are wow. hints of beholders. There are hints of who will be new lords. There oh. are looks at noble families. There are looks, lots of looks at guilds. You will get to find many low dives and brothels, I mean festals, and where they are <laughs> in the realms and the ones that aren't burnt down during the book. Oh, did I say that? Um, uh, there are, these are all the reasons that you should check in and enjoy Death Masks. And then, I love it. after you've read it, Yes. Read it a second time now that you know what's going on and look for all the sly little clues because sly little Eddie loves putting <laughs> sly little clues in for people to reread and go, oh, you, you sly little Eddie. <laughs> you put that in there. And yes, I did. And there I am twirling my mustache and twirling my beard to match my mustache. And you'll be doing so much twirling. Oh, I will twirl. You will be. You'll have your, your dress on, and you'll twirl through the meadows <laughs> <laughs> while you're twirling uh, your mustache. Dude. I love it. That's awesome. I can't. That sold it very well. I, know. I can't wait to go in and get all those Easter eggs now. I'm gonna do there it. There you go. Yes. Collect all right, them all. Where can uh, where can people find? <laughs> click them all, and you can find them all. Uh, where where can people find you uh, online? Where's your Where's your uh, uh, best place for Are people to at? go and look at uh, uh, stuff that Ed, Ed Greenwood is up to now? Oh boy. Well, um, underlibrum.com is, is my new publishing thing. And I, oh, neat. I, um, O-N-T-E-R-L-I-B-R-U-M.com, um, which is where I'm doing other worlds that, I, that are different than the realms. You know, I've been working on the realms every day of my life for the last 50-odd years. Um, these are all the ideas I put on the spike, and now I want to try all of them as well. And... At the same time, I hang out on Facebook, I, I, and I, I tweet. I'm on Twitter as, as the Edverse. The Edverse. And the Edverse, yes. And, and yes, I talk. I'm, I walk, I talk. Follow me, and I'll follow you. And, and, and um, we, we can talk about all sorts of things. And I usually um, tweet cute little rhyming ditties about, about nothing, at all, nothing at all. Just little um, wry observations about life, the universe, and everything. And humorous human nature. Because let's face it, if we can't laugh at ourselves, we should all just die right now. So, in order to I'm make on board it with that. fun. Yeah, so yeah. it's all about fun. Awesome. Yeah. All fun, all the time. <laughs> I like it. It's a good motto. Thanks so much, Ed. Ed, uh, you're uh, the best. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to have you on again to uh, uh, just basically have you talk at us for another hour about all the <laughs> sure. amazing stuff that's going on. Because I know there's sure. there's a lot of stuff Anytime. we never got to. So that's fantastic. It, yeah, we can you know, just you know and just just record it and just cut and paste on the cutting room floor. <laughs> it'll be what just did like say about that. It'll be just like your 400 page manuscripts. Yeah, there and, you go. Uh, and poor Ryan. The mm. Poor <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, you can put uh, it all together for us. It'll make it happen. All right. Thank you so much, Ed, and uh, we'll talk My again pleasure. soon. Thanks, Ed. Okay, thank you. Hey, thank you, Shelly. Thank you, Greg. This was fun. That was fun. Good times. And good goodbye, vacuum land. Goodbye, Ether. <laughs> that was great talking to Ed. He is amazing. I, I, I use yes. that word a lot uh, in that interview no, because I was like, like, my jaw was on the ground. He is 
a fascinating individual. And we could actually talk to him for a I have so many questions now. Let's just next time we'll just call him up and we'll be like, hey, just talk. And then we'll go get a coffee. I, yeah. We'll get some beers. We'll come back. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Yeah. I am always interested in his novels, of course. But now I'm really interested in just Ed the human. Do you know he's a librarian? That's, that's when he says his day job. He has a, a full-time job yeah. and he is so prolific. Like, I, I want to know more about like what he's writing, what he's thinking about and does he have the whole story in his head when he begins to write it or do things change and do characters speak to him? Hard to say. Hard when he's at the really. grocery store? <laughs> does he get ideas? Like, when, when do the ideas come I love him? your writerly questions because I do a little bit think like, oh, how can I apply this to my own writing? <gasps> oh, yes. I'm always fascinated by the process. Yeah. 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 We, we should do, maybe we'll do that in a, uh, an episode of the podcast where we talk about more just like writing tips. Writing tips. Yeah, we can get all our Greg authors Tito. in and talk about that. So that's great. That would be cool. Cool. So uh, you can check out uh, Shelly on Twitter. Where were you on the, on the Twitter? At Shelly Moo. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, what about uh, Avalon Hill? Oh, Avalon Hill. <laughs> Two. Two. At Avalon Hill Two. Two. Go check that out. We're, we're talking more about uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, the expansion. Widows. Coming soon. We'll talk yeah. more about that. I am Greg Tito. I'm at Greg Tito. But you can find out all of your wonderful news about wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna. Oh, you have you are making up some I'm good words. Trademarking wonderful right now. We're gonna do this <laughs> quack right now. Why um, hasn't anybody said wonderful before? It's, maybe someone has. It's That's perfect. It's probably already trademarked. Let's let's be honest. I'm sure. I think Hasbro. Thunderman. Hasbro owns it. I'm sure. Oh, maybe. <laughs> well, they do now because you said now. it, and we're That's here it. at work. That's so. right. It's done. It's done. Uh, at Wizards. D&D uh, is where you can find out about everything on our Twitter thing. And then, yep. of course, DungeonsDragons.com. You can find out all about Death Masks as well as uh, Storm King's Thunder that's coming up. I love that there's going to be uh, Easter eggs for Storm King's Thunder in Death Mask. I think that's pretty cool. I love that he had a checklist and he yeah. kind of nailed everything on the checklist. So. Pretty badass. Yeah. Also, uh, we're on iTunes. So, of course, please uh, rate and review us if you can. It just helps get this uh, podcast out there to as many other people as possible, uh, which is always great because we want more people to hear about Dungeons & Dragons and start playing. I sent the link to the podcast to somebody today. Yeah? Somebody I'm trying to get to be on our show. I know. I know about Um, the secret. So excited. I was giddy writing the email. But um, I actually kind of peeked at like how many, there's a lot of stars. We have a lot of stars. We have a lot of stars. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Thank you, people. That's really nice. Thank you, people. But we need more stars. God, Greg is never happy. He's never satisfied. I'm always satisfied. Thank you guys uh, so much. Uh, make sure you satisfy me, Miss Tars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the best way to end the podcast, so I'm just going to do it there. All right. Thanks, you guys. Done. All right. We're Bye. Out. Bye. See you next week.